Our scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 8. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible or in your worship guide where you can find the passage printed on page 13, as Colin said. If you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And before we read, I would remind you that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Corey. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We come now to the fifth and final question in this passage. For the past several weeks, we've been focusing on each question in turn. Here's a brief review. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? And now, fifth and finally, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This fifth question draws together the series of questions. You could say that this question even draws together chapters 1 through 8. This is like the finale that the book of Romans has been building toward. Did any of you go and see fireworks a few weeks ago? If you did, you saw the finale at the end. This last question is like that finale. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am sure, says Paul, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I am sure. What about you? Are you so sure? Are you sure that Jesus loves you? Are you persuaded? Are you convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt? Is it settled 
in your mind and in your heart that nothing and no one can separate you from the love of Christ? If we're honest, we're not always so sure. We're not always persuaded that Jesus loves us. We have doubts and fears and suspicions that some things can get between us and the love of Christ. In these verses, we'll see that Paul speaks about suffering. He speaks about tribulation, distress, persecution, and so on. Why? Why do you think he speaks about sufferings? Because he knows what you struggle to believe when you suffer. Jesus, why? If you love me, then why did that happen? Jesus, if you love me, then why is this happening? In your suffering, do you struggle to believe that Jesus loves you? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Brothers and sisters, the word of God tells you so this morning. May you know today. May you be sure today. May you be convinced all the more that Jesus loves you. As we reflect on this passage today, may you be sure, like never before, that absolutely nothing, nothing in all of creation can and ever could separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In a few moments, I'll give an overview of these verses to give you an idea of where we're going. But I do want to start by clarifying something that's really important. In these verses, Paul is speaking about believers. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The us that he's referring to, the us that he's referring to are those who have put their faith in Jesus alone for salvation. He's referring to Christians, to all those who confess Christ as their Lord. In a room this size, and as people listen on the live stream, I do not assume that everyone is a believer. If you're listening to this sermon, whether here or on the live stream, and if you're not a Christian, then first of all, know that we're so thankful that you're listening. We're so thankful that you're here As you listen, know this to be true. The Jesus that we speak about is not dead, but alive. He is alive. At this very moment, he's in heaven at the right hand of God. He's coming again, and he has called me to appeal to you on his behalf. Our children's catechism asks this question. Kids, you might know the answer. What is hell? And the answer is, hell is an awful place, an awful place, where unbelievers are separated from God to suffer for their sins. Separated from God, separated from his love forever. That's what hell is. The good news that you will hear in this sermon And the best news that the world has ever heard is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone and everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
That is the good news. So we urge you as a church family, I call you as an ambassador for Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You will be saved. Believe in him and absolutely nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So with that said, let's start with an overview of these verses. Here's here's the finale that we've been waiting for. Paul begins by asking his rhetorical question in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's a rhetorical question. Paul knows the answer. He's asking it because he wants us to lean in and think about it together. He gives the answer a few verses later in verses 38 and 39. And in between, what do we find? We find the reasons for why nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. How can you be sure of Christ's love? Because you have become identified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. As those who are united to Christ, as those who are in Christ, you not only suffer with him, but with him you are also more than conquerors. And because you have been identified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, in his suffering and in his conquering, you can be sure that nothing could ever separate you from him and from his love. Death and resurrection, suffering and conquering. So first, you have been identified with Christ in his death. You have become identified with Christ in his suffering. I'll sum up the first point like this. We suffer with God's people for Christ's sake. We suffer with God's people for Christ's sake. We suffer. Paul writes in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Why did Paul include this list? He included this list so that we move from the abstract to the concrete. He included this list so that we think about the particulars of our lives, the particular sufferings of your life. He wants us to think about the real, everyday, messy, specific sufferings of our lives. Can these sufferings separate us from the love of Christ? So, this list, think of it this way, it's an invitation for you to make your own list. How would you personalize this list? If this was a Sunday school class right now, I would say, take two minutes, here are papers and pens, and make a list, one to seven. Make a list of the sufferings of your lives. What hard things have you suffered in the past? What hard things are you suffering today? What sufferings do you most fear for the future? This is not a Sunday school class, but what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? What things would be on your list? Can anything on your list separate you from Christ's love? Speaking of Sunday school... We're really enjoying the, uh, the, 
the story Pilgrim's Progress, a children's version of Pilgrim's Progress. And question for the kids who have been a part of the class, if Christian was to make a list of the hard things that he's experienced so far on his journey, what would be on his list? The slew of despond, the hill of difficulty, the valley of humiliation. Today we learned about Vanity Fair, and there's more to come. There's more to come. Christian would have those things on his list. So fellow pilgrims, as you make your way to the celestial city, what sufferings lie behind you? What sufferings are you experiencing today? What sufferings do you most fear for the future? If I was to make a list, anxiety would be on my list. I've shared with my community group and at an evening service, an evening worship service, that I've struggled recently with anxiety in ways that I haven't before. I imagine that for many of us here, a form of anxiety would be on our list. The point is that it's these things. These things, the things on your list that Paul wants you to think about right now. Does Jesus still love you in these things, in these sufferings? Now, Paul doesn't give us an answer right away. Instead, beginning in verse 36, he cites from a psalm, Psalm 44. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Why does Paul include this citation? Why does he include it? He could have skipped ahead to the good news of verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. But he doesn't skip ahead. He includes this citation. It's the first citation from the Old Testament in four chapters. The last citation was in Romans 4. At this point, he includes this citation from Psalm 44. Why? Why is this here? One of the reasons that he cites this verse is to say to all of us, we have it on record. We have it on record. These sufferings, tribulation, distress, danger, whatever they might be, these are not hypothetical. These are not made up. We're not imagining these things. No, they are real. We suffer as it is written. So this citation makes that clear, and it also makes it clear that we do not suffer alone. It reminds us that we suffer with God's people. In our sufferings, we join with the rest of God's people who have suffered for millennia. This psalm was written thousands of years ago. I want to read a portion of Psalm 44. As you listen... Think of your sufferings. Think of the hard things of your life. Past, present, potentially future. How would you relate to these words? Once again, a portion from Psalm 44. But you, God, have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoiled. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. 
All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O God? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bound, bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Brothers and sisters, in your suffering, you join the saints for millennia. This is the cry of God's people. And you are not the only one wondering if God still loves you. You're not the only one wondering if God has hidden his face. You're not the only one needing assurance that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You suffer. We suffer with God's people. We suffer. We suffer with God's people. And we suffer with God's people for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. Why are we being killed all the day long? Why are we being killed all the day long? Why are we suffering? Do you see the answer given in this verse? For whose sake? For his sake. For his sake. As we suffer for his sake, how are we regarded? We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Why like sheep? Why like sheep? Ultimately, because our Savior is the sheep who was slaughtered. Our Savior was the Lamb of God who was slaughtered. He was slaughtered on the cross for our sins, and that means, followers of Jesus, you are regarded like Him. You are regarded like the Lamb of God. So what's implicit in this verse, as Paul says, for his sake, and as he calls us sheep who are being slaughtered, what's implicit is what Paul made so clear earlier in Romans 8. He said this, We are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we what? Provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. You suffer with God's people for Christ's sake. Believers and unbelievers fall and scrape their knees. Believers and unbelievers suffer the pains of childbirth. Believers and unbelievers suffer from anxiety. Believers and unbelievers get diagnosed with cancer. Believers and unbelievers die. But there is a profound black and white difference between your sufferings as a Christian and the sufferings of a non-believer. Christian, you suffer for Christ's sake, for his sake. You suffer with him. Each one of your sufferings, no matter how big, no matter how small, is shaped like a cross. 
you suffer with your Savior. In your sufferings, you are taking up your cross and you're following Jesus. So can your sufferings separate you from Christ's love? Can your cross that you bear separate you from the cross bearer? How could they? How could they? Your sufferings are for his sake. Your sufferings are proof that you belong to Jesus. Your sufferings are evidence that you belong to the lamb who was slain. Think of it this way. As Christians struggled up the hill of difficulty, once again, we're learning about Pilgrim's progress. As Christians struggled up the hill of difficulty, were his difficulties proof that God didn't love him? Were his difficulties evidence that somehow he had fallen out of favor with his God? Had he been separated from the love of Christ as he walked up the hill? No, he was on the narrow road. He was on his way to the celestial city and that way went straight up the hill of difficulty. So that hill was not evidence of the father's disfavor or that he had disowned Christian. No, he belonged to Jesus. Him going up that path marked him out as a Christian. He was united to a suffering savior. He struggled up the hill of difficulty because he was loved by his Lord. So how could your suffering separate you from Christ's love? How could they? Whose sufferings ultimately are they? They're the sufferings of Christ. You are suffering with him. You have become identified with Christ in his death. You suffer for Christ's sake. So could your sufferings, could these hard things very hard things separate you from his love? Paul is so emphatic. Maybe he was standing up when he wrote this. No! No, they can't. And as we come to verse 37, we come to the second point. We have not only become identified with Christ in his suffering, we have not only become identified with Christ in his death, we have also become identified with Christ in his conquering, in his resurrection. In this second and final point, we'll see that we can't be separated from the love of Christ for this reason, because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want to look at each of those phrases in turn. This is verse 37. First, In all these things. What things is Paul referring to? He's referring to the things back in verse 35. He's referring to sufferings. He's referring to the things on your list. Notice what Paul doesn't say. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say after these things. He doesn't say after these things. He doesn't say after your sufferings, when Christ returns, you will be more than conquerors. No, he says, in all these things, in all your sufferings. So not some, but all, in all these things. So right now, today, this moment, as we're sitting here or listening on the live stream, right now, in all these things, in all, Tribulation, in distress, 
in persecution, in famineness, or famine, in nakedness, in danger, in sword, in each and every one of our sufferings. What's true in all these things? What's true right now, this moment, as those united to Christ? We are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. We don't simply get by. We're not simply conquerors. We are more than conquerors. You super triumph now if you're united to Christ. How could that be? How could that be true? In all these things, we are more than conquerors? You know your sufferings. I know mine. Do you feel like you're more than a conqueror? In, our, in your suffering, does it look like you are more than a conqueror? Do slaughtered sheep appear to be more than conquerors? How could this be true? How could this be true? Not after these things, but in them, right now. And not in some of them, but in all of them. How could it be true that we're more than conquerors? Well, it's true, but not because of you. It's not It's not because of anything that you could ever do. It's not because of you, it's because of someone else. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, through him who loved us. So who is this him that he's referring to? Through him who loves us. Well, let me tell you about the one who loved us. His name is Jesus. He is the son of God. Very God, a very God, who took on flesh for our salvation. The Father loved us so much that he sent his Son, and the Son loved you so much that he came. He took to himself a human nature like ours. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He suffered for you. He was punished for you in your place. The sinless one became sin for you. So we look at the cross. We see the slaughtered lamb and see his love for us. This one died, but he rose again. He suffered, but he conquered. He is more than a conqueror. This one, Jesus, is more than a conqueror. In his resurrection, what happened? He super triumphed over all his and our enemies. He triumphed, super triumphed over sin, over Satan, over death, over the world, over suffering, over all of it. And he ascended to heaven. He intercedes for you. He's coming again and all things are subject to him. He's the king of kings. He rules over all. He rules over death. He rules over life. He rules over angels. He rules over rulers. He rules over the past, over the present, over the future. He rules over all of space, all of it, no matter how wide or long or high and deep. He rules over all of creation. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the risen Christ, and he loves you. He loves you. So if you have been united to this Christ, the Christ who suffered and conquered, 
the Christ who died and rose again. If you have become identified with him so intimately in his death and in his resurrection, in him you are more than a conqueror right now. Right now, in him, you are in Christ. Nothing and no one, not even yourself, not even yourself, not even your sins could separate you from him and his love. Jesus loves you. Paul says, for I am sure, I am sure. Are you sure? I imagine that some of us this morning are persuaded. We are convinced. It's settled. Yes, I am sure. At the same time, I imagine that others of us feel like our faith is faltering. Like it's so wobbly. Like it's so weak. Like we're hanging on by a thread. The astoundingly good news is that these words in Romans 8 aren't They're true, but their truthfulness is not dependent on you. Their truthfulness is not dependent on your faith. These words are dependent on Christ alone. Christ alone. So whether you're sure or not this day, whether you're persuaded of Christ's love for you or not, Jesus loves you today and forever, and nothing can separate you from his love. So brothers and sisters, this is your new reality in Christ. This is your new reality. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing, absolutely absolutely nothing. So will you believe that to be true today? Will you believe that that is true? Regardless of what your doubts and suspicions and fears, regardless of what the world is saying, will you believe this, these words to be true? Will you believe that Jesus loves you and will you live this day and tomorrow and the next till Christ returns? Will you live in light of this reality? Paul's fifth and final question brings the series of questions to a triumphant conclusion. It is the finale of finales. Not only is God for you, Not only will he graciously give you all things, not only are you justified and free from any charge that could be brought against you, not only is it true that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, on top of all of that, you are loved. You are loved. You are loved by the risen Christ. How are you loved? as those who are united to a suffering and conquering king, as those who are united to the dying but resurrected Christ, you are loved with an inseparable love, an invincible love, an everlasting love. May you be sure. Amen. Let me conclude with the words that Paul concludes with in verses 38 and 39. For I am sure, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen.